Welcome, welcome to Friday. It's Jennifer Bukowski sitting in for the one and only Gary Nolan. Uh, you can call and text me, 573-874-9390. And let's start with the clip today, Brian. This is from the January 6th committee aired this clip. It was from a video they played yesterday. And that's what this is all about. Secret Service said they have dissuaded him from coming to Capitol Hill. They told him they don't have the resources to protect him here. So at the moment, he is not coming, but that could change. I would come to him and punch him out. I oh, know. I would pay to see that. I'm waiting for this, for trespassing on the Capitol grounds. I'm going to punch him out, and I'm going to go to jail, and I'm going to be happy. That was Nancy Pelosi talking tough. Was she joking? I can't really tell. I'm undecided. Let me know if you have a thought on that or anything else, because it is technically Foster Buns Friday. But there's a lot of assumptions she makes by making that joke or that remark. And I'll uh, get into my thoughts on that in just a second. But wanted to tell you about the lineup we have. We have a bunch of guests coming in. At 9.30, we have Professor Aaron Hedlund, Chief Economist from the Show Me Institute. At 10 o'clock, we have our presiding circuit judge, Brooke Jacobs, coming in, a friend of mine. He just gave a big speech to the bar about the state of the court in Boone and Calloway. We're going to talk to him about that, expungements, and a few other things. Our Secretary of State, Jay Ashcroft, will be on at 10.30. Um, he just had a couple of wins in court yesterday, and he has a host of topics that he wants to get into on the show. And at 11.30, we will have Missouri Times um, editor Scott Fawn in studio to talk about the U.S. Senate races and special session. And I'm going to ask him what he thinks is going to happen with that attorney general appointment. Brian's laughing. Uh-oh, what's going on? Oh, nothing. I'm just chatting with uh, the uh, morning show guy, Brandon, from our... Uh <laughs> the folks listening in Springfield probably don't know who Brandon Rather is. A lot of people here in mid-Missouri don't know who he is either. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm sorry. I was just sitting there. Is he that let's go Brandon words. guy? Or, yeah, yeah, that's him. LGB? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, that, does he make a career out of turning left, you know, yes. as fast as he can? Or, or driving around the track? So you were talking about the Nancy Pelosi clip oh, that we played back right track. out of the gate. Uh, yes. You don't think that she wouldn't want to punch Trump? You think that... That was my first impression that she was actually thinking yeah. through that. No, I'm sure that uh, she had her opportunity. She'd, she'd take it. <laughs> we hear a lot about this concept of privilege. That is a very privileged thing to say. Yes. Donald Trump is tied for our second tallest president ever at six foot three. She's five five. And, you know, looks like she weighs about 130, 140 pounds. And he's eight years younger than her. And she's assuming she can punch this guy who she's claiming is leading this insurrection of the country. (laughs) And she just winds up arrested and in jail and that punch back in the face or anything else. So she knows he's a gentleman that he would not hit her back, obviously. So she's conceding that, I think. And she's also... Assuming that because she's such a big deal or whatever, because she's an old white woman or that the Secret Service and the cops that would all be around there to arrest her wouldn't, you know, take any sort of forceful action against her. Which, if she were uh, a man, that would not necessarily yeah, be something be you could assume. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I thought the, that was the a little telling. The hatred for Donald Trump is palpable. You have to admit that uh, any Democrat that uh, is on this January 6th committee, including Liz Cheney, 
And then you noticed I called her the Democrat. <laughs> oh, she's they they would love to take their shot at Donald Trump. They just absolutely can't stand the man. Right. And they will do they will stop at nothing until he's gone. And by gone I mean <laughs> completely eliminated. They hate him. They hate him. They hate his children. They want them in jail. And it's so offensive to them that he had the wherewithal to take that highest office, which is supposed to go to one of their friends in their crowds, not someone new, not someone from the outside. And it's. I think what's really uh, stirring them on, too, is the fact that they haven't been able to get him yet. I mean, it started in 2016 with a Russian collusion, and that was a big failure. And it's just continued on and on and on, and they just can't nail him. But and that, they, that has got to be frustrating for them. But you know what they did succeed in doing is, and this is, I think, a Sun Tzu art of war, like waste the resources of your opponent. And they wasted so much of the Republicans' time with all of their investigations that he had to defend himself against. When you take offices like a president or a governor, that is your scarcest resource is your yes. time, your people's time and what you guys can focus on to get your agenda delivered, because that is very difficult to do in the best of circumstances. And when you're having to spend half of your time or more on dealing with, you know, these things that are thrown uh, your way by opponents unfairly in Trump's case, it was done intentionally, it is totally intentional to prevent him from getting his agenda done because they wanted him to accomplish as little as possible. And they succeeded to some extent with that because he did have to spend an inordinate amount of time dealing with these two impeachments and dealing with this, all this other nonsense that they threw his way. Remember, they're investigating. They have a million different investigations. They're investigating whether, you know, people are not paying a fair rate to the Trump hotel and the, the lease of the Trump. Like it was nonstop. Uh, but he still got a lot done, even though uh, it was nonstop investigation. The big announcement yesterday, as I'm sure a lot of folks heard, is they're going to subpoena him to come up here. Yeah, I heard that, and I was kind of curious. I didn't know this committee had subpoena power, per se. Oh, they do. Do they? And they have been wielding it. Even though that they're all a partisan committee, and that it, you know yeah. the other side doesn't have an opportunity to represent itself or defend itself in any way. Yeah, they've broken they've traditions. They've got a couple of tokens by the name of Liz Cheney and... Adam Kinsinger or whatever his name is. Yeah. But that's are, it, you know, and they, they're they also Trump haters. So do yeah. you think this will be, ever be a fair and impartial, you know, get to the bottom of what happened on January 6th? They want to drag this out forever. Yeah. Uh, they, that's been the goal. It's never been about fairness or actually getting to the truth. It's been about or preventing this from ever happening again. It's been about using this to keep the Americans, try to keep the voters focused and fixated on Trump because that's how they won in 2020 is just getting all the fixation on Trump. Well, Trump's not on the ballot. This is a way to keep him on the ballot because they think that that can get people to come out in an off-year election. But I think in that regard, they've failed miserably because people, this does not register anywhere on their list of things that they're concerned about. They're concerned about inflation, gas prices, now, you know, nuclear war, potentially, there's a lot of other things on people's mind besides a bunch of uh, knuckleheads that ran into the Capitol, which, by the way, occurred. I think this is not stated often enough. It occurred, what, 
five, four months after we saw, you know, a summer of people who were mad tearing down cities all over the country. So we were like taught, you know, on TV while we're all pending at home. If you're mad about something, you go and you misbehave in public. And that's what they did. And it's treated like an insurrection. Did they ever say that the people tearing down the cities were trying to take the cities over? No. Uh, no, no. I but mean, don't you know how close were... we were to losing our democracy on January 6th? I mean, these folks were so close. <laughs> I yeah. Mean, wow. I mean, to, it is different when you're like, we don't believe in the election and we should change that. But it's not completely different from saying the cops no longer have, you know, any legitimate authority. Let's defund them. Let's get rid of them. And uh, let's take out those in power in cities all over, basically, which is what the movement was. Uh, earlier that summer but a movement that i have been paying attention to and where i do think that the people are in the right to protest and they're paying for it with their lives is in iran it's finally making attention we had that great interview on wednesday with yasmin mohammed the ex-muslim who speaks out um, about these issues and about the you know billion people in muslim majority theocracies and women's treatment there and like the lack of freedom there and uh, finally, I see in the front pages of the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal articles about the brave women, you know, taking their hijabs off, the brave people that are protesting all over Iran. But the Islamic Republic is going out there, shooting them all over with pellets, beating them up. And now there are two beautiful teenage daughters that are the new faces of this. This is in the, the New York Times. And I, I am just rooting for them i really am i i would love to see that this theocracy overthrown and really i am starting to understand why the hijab taking that off is such a big deal because it's a symbol that oh the man doesn't control you or you the man that does supposed to the man that is supposed to control you isn't believing everything that we spew at them about all these rules of islam about controlling your women and so that is in defiance to us and that's why we can send plainclothes morality police to go beat up women on the street if they show a little bit of hair. It's something else. But I didn't know. It seems like so many of these Iranian women, I, I mean, they've been covered up since 79. They have all kinds of different colors of hair. Blonde hair, light brown hair, um, different eye colors. Beautiful women. Beautiful women there. And it's be- it's wonderful to see their faces. So I'm rooting for them. There's a few other stories we're going to get into soon here. There's uh, the Whitmer fednapping. There's still a jury trial going on with some of those guys. But one of the jurors might get kicked off because they think she's flirting. Let's talk about that. Nicholas Cruz, that horrible school shooter, got life in prison. I want to hear your thoughts on that. And also, Jennifer, this just now came down. The Biden administration today just renewed COVID-19 status as a public health emergency through January 11th. Despite President Biden stating last month that he believes the pandemic is over. And do you know what this is all about? I would guess power. No, no. It goes a little deeper than that. College loan forgiveness. He used his emergency powers to put that forward. And so I'm pretty sure that that's what... This is what that is all about. This abuse of this emergency power yes. thing is really unfortunate, but that's what it is. It's so that you can throw all kinds of different rules out the yep. window. But that, regardless, 
is still unconstitutional. You can't do it. We will uh, get into all that and more next. This is Jennifer Bukowski filling in for the one and only Gary Nolan on the Zimmer Radio Network. Welcome back to the Gary Nolan Show. It's Jennifer Bukowski sitting in on this Froster Buns Friday. So we're taking all your calls and texts. 573-874-9390. I got a, a text from Jimmy. He says, hey, Jennifer and Brian, they don't just hate Donald Trump. They hate everyone that voted for Donald Trump. That is true. The basket of deplorables the yeah the mega republicans if you didn't vote for biden and don't like trump you're still hated by this group of people well they can keep on hating me because if he ends up being the nominee i'm going to be voting for him a third time no question there there's no way you could vote for a democrat to be president after we've seen the disaster that has been joe biden uh it's Oh, no, 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 Jennifer, you just, you didn't get the uh, memo. Corrine Jean-Pierre says that uh, things are going just fine. You just are trying to ruin this president. Yeah, I know. And we're going to have to get Aaron's response to that clip that you pulled uh, at 930 when he comes in because he's our expert economist. Yes, he is. Have you ever served in a jury? I did. Let's see. No, I guess I did not. I think I was scheduled to, and then I called them and I said, hey, um, are you sure that you want me on the jury because I'm a member of the media? They're like, oh, you are? It's like, no, no, you, you can't uh, you can't be on the jury. Huh. So, well, that I don't think is an automatic excuse anymore. It used to be lawyers can't serve either. Right. But no, they. some of the questions on the uh, j- jury, uh, what do they call it? Questionnaire. The yeah. Uh, are you a member of the media? And I always put yes. Are you always uh, connected to the local media as far as uh, consuming local news? Yes. And they usually don't want you on the jury. If that, you... that was here? The questionnaire yes. was here? Uh-huh. I don't yeah. remember seeing that on the forum um, before. Maybe they've changed it. But I have done many jury trials and selected some juries. And... I guess this uh, Gretchen Whitner fednapping trials are still going on for some of the defendants. And this is in the Daily Mail. Judges considering dismissing juror in Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping plot for, quote, flirting with militia man defendant and smiling at him across courtroom. That is interesting to me on so many levels because the prosecution has complained that a juror was flirting with the 22-year-old defendant, Paul Beller, by smiling, winking, and nodding at him. Wow. The prosecution also said Beller was returning the flirtation and even once pumped his fist in affirmation towards her. But his defense attorney said he was not doing that towards her. He was excited because he got Skittles as a special treat because it was his birthday. Imagine being on jury trial and it's your birthday, your 22nd birthday. That's what you're doing. Oh, my gosh. That's a rough, rough birthday. And you're so excited because you got some Skittles. But uh, it is interesting because I micromanage what my clients look like in jury trial because people, the jurors look at them the whole time. Right. Like they're a constant exhibit. Like even yes. if they're not testifying, they're not on the stand. You have to make sure that they're, exp- I actually have to, because I have to focus on everything else. I appoint someone from my team mm-hmm. to make sure, are, is their facial expression good to help them? Right. And I can, I like had a, my first jury trial, juror showed up with a horrible haircut. I like, we talk hair, we talk clothes, we talk wardrobe, we talk demeanor because you can't be looking threatening or whatever. 
because they are going to be looking at you. And I have seen this before, especially when they're coming back in for the verdict. The verdict. Mm-hmm. If they're going to go the defendant's way, sometimes one or more will wink or nod. But during the trial, that's a little over the top if she really was winking at him and laughing with him. Wow. What is it But about, I don't know how uh, that disqualifies her. She's clearly, you know, not able to talk with him. So if she's looking at him and not finding the state's case against him persuasive, that's their problem. I'm kind of curious. Why do attorneys uh, ask uh, women usually, uh, specifically those who don't wear glasses, to go ahead and wear glasses during a trial? Is there a reason for that? To make them appear more sophisticated or something? or? Well, it would depend on the woman. I've never... I've never recommended fake glasses. Well, there was a murder trial, Jody Arias. Remember that? Right. And she didn't wear glasses at all. And for some reason... You know, she came to mind when you asked that. Because, you know, she was very... um, The case against her was that she was very, you know, manipulative through Mm -hmm. her looks. Right. She's a beautiful woman. And so putting the glasses on her is going to make her look more intellectual and less sex kitten. That would be my uh, guess, because if that's what the way they're going to portray her, I and then gotcha. you have her sitting there like that. Um, but can you, can the other attorney bring that out? It's like, um, do you wear, Miss, uh, well, she didn't take the stand, but would that be a fair question? Why do you have those classes on today? If she took the stand, yeah. I mean, I would certainly ask that if I were a prosecutor. Oh, you're wearing glasses? You don't need glasses, do you? You know, it's another. For those glasses? It's another. There's so many things. I love jury trials fake. and watching it's another, them. And, it's kind of a lie. You yeah, know, it's an accessory, but you could try to portray it as a lie. <laughs> Can you see me okay? You know. Right. I would make a point of it for sure if I knew that they were fake glasses. But yeah. you're taking a risk because you never know. Sometimes people need reading glasses. Sometimes uh, they've just gotten a glasses prescription. So you, you often don't want to ask someone a, a question on cross that you don't already know the mm-hmm. answer to. Right. And I have like chapter and verse exactly where it is that I have their statement that I'm pulling out of them. And if they say something different, I can impeach them and make them out gotcha. to be a liar. Wow. So I don't ever ask them things that I'm just trying to find out at that point. That's what gotcha. depositions and discovery are for. Yep. Never ask a question for which you don't know the answer already to, right? Right. I mean, look at the uh, OJ. Yeah. Oh, can you try these gloves on? <laughs> oh, God, that, that was a, awful. That is a huge, That was huge the worst blunder. visual ever. And Marsha Clark, I remember that day, I was sitting there watching it, and that they had their head in their hands. It was so... She like, was. It was bad. She was young. She was supposed to be like third chair on that, but the lead guy died, and someone else left, and all of a all of a sudden she was thrust to the national spotlight at an early time in her career, and she got her, you know what, handed to her. Yeah. But it, that that was an interesting trial too to look back at that one because that is like one that they teach in law school is like, yeah, don't do this on a cross. <laughs> don't have the defendant like try on some clothes where you don't know how it's going to turn out. Oh man. But Froster Buns Friday, 573-874-9390. We've got a huge show coming up. Aaron Headland, Dr. Aaron Headland, economist next, then uh, Judge Brooke Jacobs after that. So don't go away. This is Jennifer Bukowski filling in for Gary Nolan on the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show.
we have seen some important progress for the American people. A couple of things that I lay out, we, we've seen real disposable income and real consumer spending, both increase in part thanks to the strength of our job market. Uh, gas prices are down over $1 per gallon since their peak this summer. That's an overall decline of 22%. And we're back. This is Jennifer Bukowski filling in for Gary Nolan. And I'm joined by Dr. Aaron Hedlund, professor of economics and the chief economist at the Show Me Institute. What you just heard was Corrine Jean-Pierre, White House press secretary, explaining the state of the economy. And what do you think, Aaron? Has she got it right? No, not at all. First of all, thanks for having me with you. This is real fun. That's what you call classic moving the goalposts. Uh, gas prices have fallen by a dollar since June. Well, let's look at gas prices in January 2021. They were $2.30 something cents. So gas prices are way up since then. The fact that they're down from a peak really doesn't mean it's not much consolation to people. Yeah. I mean, it's a little something, but it's not an accomplishment or an achievement. You're still messing something up and using up our reserves to do it. Exactly. And, and the reason gas prices have fallen has absolutely nothing to do with what the administration's doing. And let's not forget that food prices are rising at the fastest pace since 1979. Inflation's still over 8%. Mortgage rates are 7%. I mean, people are really feeling it in their wallets. That's certainly true. So uh, you had topics that you sent to me today. And uh, one of them was, quote, trickle-down economics. Why are you bringing this back up? Is this part of the conversation Again? Yeah, I mean, the problem is when, when the left runs out of ideas, they just turn to slanderous terms. So whenever conservatives or free market types talk about lowering tax rates, which, of course, Missouri has just done, uh, the criticism is always that, oh, that's trickle-down economics. You're giving money to rich people in the hopes that somehow that money will end up benefiting everybody else. And I just think that that's, that misconception needs to be cleared up, like, here and now and permanently, which is that... The side that's pushing trickle-down economics is the left, because what they're talking about doing is centralizing resources in the hands of bureaucrats and politicians and then trusting that those people will make decisions better for you than you will on your own. Right? Tax cuts are not about the government giving money to someone. It's about people keeping their own resources and having a much better incentive to invest and to work. And to decide what best to spend it on, like what they need most in their own lives. But they, Biden's like issued all these checks, hoping oh all this trickling down from him will benefit the country in some way. But I haven't seen very good results from that. Uh, what impact are you seeing from these big checks that have been issued? Well, I mean, actually, the first example that immediately comes to mind when I think about trickle down big government is the energy policies. I mean, the Biden administration is making it more difficult for energy producers to get permits and to produce using whatever sources that they find most economically viable. And instead, the government has decided, well, we're going to decide for everybody else in the country that we're only going to go with green energy sources, quote unquote, green energy sources. So to me, that's that's trickle down because they are taking the power away from the millions upon millions of Americans and all the different energy producers to follow where the market goes. And instead, the government's going to decide. And when you talk about the checks, I mean, look, if, if you look at inflation over the past couple of years, January 2021, it was sub 2 percent. February 2021, still very low. Then suddenly in March 2021, for reasons that are purely political, that have nothing to do with economic, on the, you know, what was going on on the ground, the, uh, you know, the White House and Congress passed a $2 trillion stimulus bill. Right after that, 
you see inflation start to spike the way it has been for the past year and a half. And labor force participation still down. I mean, we are not in good economic times right now, despite whatever propaganda campaign that they're trying to uh, bring on the American people. Oh, it might be a recession. Well, the cost of living adjustment for the Social Security Administration got announced yesterday. And just to give some context to this, in 2016, the cost of living adjustment, which is, as I'm sure you know, it can explain better than me, how much more the Social Security payments are adjusted that people receive. For the cost of living, it was 0.3% in 2016. In 2017, 2.0%. In 2018, 2.8%. In 2019, 1.6%. And in 2020, 1.3%. Uh, Donald Trump was president in those years. 2021, 5.9%. Like, that is a huge jump. And then yesterday it was announced, I believe yesterday or this week, 8 0.7%, which is, if you look back historically, uh, since 1975, there's very few times. In 1980 and 81, it was higher than that. Those are the only years since 1975 in this chart where the cost of living adjustment was higher than 87 Yeah, and to be clear, this is not a situation where seniors are getting more generous kind of real purchasing power. The reason these numbers are higher is purely to catch up for inflation. Right? So they can still buy their groceries. Exactly. Because, I mean, everyone is struggling right now. And, of course, senior citizens are really struggling because many pensions aren't really adjusted for cost of living. So this is kind of one piece that will at least soften the blow to some extent. But really, 8.7% adjustment, that's because we have over 8% inflation, which is absolutely crazy. And you think about, like, the fallout from this you know, companies need to face the fact that their employees are going to not be able to buy as many groceries now. They're going to have to try to raise wages at a time when all the goods cost more. And where's all this extra money going to come from? They're going to have to keep increasing prices to hopefully increase revenues. But with the shrinking economy, that's like not necessarily going to happen. So we are really in for a crunch. Absolutely. I mean, inflation is very damaging in many ways economically, and that's why the Federal Reserve, I think they were kind of late to the party, but now they, they recognize the severity. They're doing what they can. Uh, unfortunately, there's kind of a tug of war where, on the one hand, the Fed's trying to tame inflation. On the other hand, White House and Congress keep doing things to stoke inflation. And uh, we have, really have to get out of the spiral because it's, it's really hurting our prosperity. I, I was thinking about this. So we had the Inflation Adjustment Act to reduce inflation with all kinds of spending then we have, you know, other announcements like the student loan forgiveness and uh, that they, he announces this food program or they're going to do all these additional, you know, food benefits. But it's like if I said, I'm going to lose weight by eating all the chips and salsa I want and uh, the ice cream bars, too. That is going to solve my weight problem. I'm going to lose those pounds, right? Like, isn't that kind of similar? Like, how can you spend your way out of an inflation problem. Yeah, I mean, the administration, they are experts in gaslighting. I'll say that. They've, they've got quite the messaging team over there to package things that are the opposite of what they actually do. I mean, we can go back to the infrastructure stuff that they passed. And when they really wanted a much bigger infrastructure bill that had social programs, had nothing to do with infrastructure, what do they call it? They called it human infrastructure. And now we've got the Inflation Reduction Act, which does the exact opposite. I mean, it's more government spending and tax hikes. So if you think about inflation as too much money chasing too few goods, what the administration's doing is putting more money 
and discouraging goods. Yeah. And then calling it something that's exactly the opposite. Yeah, it's like you're trying to evade reality. You can't evade the consequences of reality. You can't be like, oh, I got real fat by eating cheeseburgers, so I'm going to lose weight by eating buckets of fried chicken every night. Like more and more and more of it. And yeah. more of it, yeah. So, oh boy. Well, uh, I do hope you can stick around after this break because there's this Amendment 1 we talked about earlier in this week that's on the ballot coming up um, that I want to ask you about because it has to do with like state investments of money. So this is Jennifer Bukowski filling in for Gary Nolan, joined by my friend, Professor Aaron Headland, And we don't go away on this Frost Your Buns Friday. We're taking all your calls. 573-874-9390. We'll be right back on the Zimmer Radio Network. Good morning. We're back on your Frost Your Buns Friday. Uh, over the break, Aaron Headland told said that my diet plan by eating more to lose weight, like Biden spends more to reduce inflation, was the Waste Reduction Act. Good dad joke there. W-A-I-S-T. I see what you did there. That's right. Well, I got four kids, so a lot of practice. <laughs> Lots of practice. Uh, welcome back to on this Frost Buns Friday. We're taking all your calls and texts. This is the day you get to weigh in on whatever you want. Huge lineup. Professor Aaron Headland is here talking the economy. Ray reminds us and sends a nice picture uh, via text at 874-9390. Good morning, everyone. It's Red Shirt Friday. Remember, everyone deployed. Good point. Absolutely. We certainly should remember them. And uh, I forget to wear red. Red is one of my signature colors, but I need to get in the habit of wearing red shirts or red suits on Fridays. That's for sure. Uh, Before the break, I mentioned that there is a kind of a confusing constitutional amendment that we're all going to have to decide on coming up here. In a couple of weeks at the election, it's Constitutional Amendment 1. And it it asks, oh gosh, I just uh, had it pulled up and then it went away. Here we go. It's proposed by the legislature. Do you want to amend the Missouri Constitution to, and there's two bullet points. First, allow the General Assembly to override the current constitutional restrictions of state investments by the state treasurer. And second, allow state investments in municipal securities possessing one of the top five highest long-term ratings or the highest short-term rating. Yes or no? Let's say you, Aaron Headland. Yeah, so it's a little bit clunky wording, but I would be inclined to be in favor of it simply to get politics out of investing. Right. The 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 Constitution should is should not be this big bloated document that unfortunately has become for the state. Right. The Constitution to me should set kind of the foundational structures of government, and then you would be inclined to say yes to get politics out of it. I want to get politics out of investing. So I would say the treasurer is responsible for investing state funds, and so I would say the Constitution should not be putting artificial restrictions on what the treasurer does. But I also don't think the General Assembly should be intervening either. So. Really, it's ultimately up to the treasurer to invest state funds. And if people obviously don't like how the treasurer does it, then that's what the democratic process is in terms of voting. That is, yeah, so the two bullet points do opposite things. So one of them would let the legislature override and decide um, to override the constitutional limitations that are imposed on the state treasurer, which I don't know. I wonder, I'd like to look into the history of the drafting of our that constitutional provision to see what was their reasoning for putting those restrictions in on the treasurer. There could be good reasons. They are they ha- like for the 
our state provision against special legislation, that was put in there because people are getting divorces by legislation. Like all the legislators, oh, well, you're from Kansas City area. All the St. Louis guys will vote in favor of your constituents' divorce. You know, so there are reasons that they put these things in there. And I wish I'd had a chance to look up what the reasons were here. But you, I was, I'm surprised because I was thinking that you would say no to this. So, I mean, I'd be, if there's analysis that suggests something that I'm not reading, then I'd be curious to see it. But really, I, again, the Constitution, we've gotten too used to doing this in the state, which is we just essentially passed legislation ver- via constitutional amendment. And I'd rather we not do that. The Constitution should be reserved for like really, really important things that shape the entire functioning of the government. I don't know personally why the Constitution would be dictating investment strategies. Uh, really, I think that's what the voters, you know, they entrust the treasurer to do that. And if the treasurer either makes bad decisions or obviously even worse than bad decisions, then that's what the ballot box is for. So I, I would rather not have the Constitution kind of overly restrict what the treasurer can do. But I don't want the, I don't want the General Assembly intervening either. I mean, if we take a step back out, outside of Missouri specifically, we are in the midst of a dangerous trend nationwide of politicizing investments. Yes. So I don't know if people have heard the term ESG. ESG is this kind of big effort by the left to force investment plans to invest not based on the financial interest of retirees, but instead based on kind of woke left-wing politics. And, and basically the left has recruited you know, large entities like BlackRock, for example, to do this to where now if you're an oil company or a number of other companies that are disfavored by the left, you're no longer eligible to get invested in by these large funds because you, know, you don't subscribe to their political agenda. And retirees have no real say in the matter. So I would say we need to get politics out of investing. Right? People invest to create prosperity for their own future. And if the left can't get their, their policies through with the ballot box, they shouldn't be able to force it through the back door through ESG policies. Well, yeah, so you're going to vote yes or no. So I, are you decided? I, I, I would say, based on the language... You know, I interpret it as removing some restrictions on what the Constitution is providing. So I'd say right now I'd be inclined to do it, but I'm going to be doing some reading between now and Tuesday to make sure that there's not some analysis that suggests that the legislature is going to be dictating strategies themselves. Because I definitely don't want the legislature to do that. It does sound like the treasurer would still have to be involved and then seek approval from the legislators who don't know. I wouldn't like go to them as my go-to for investment advice. Let's just be real about that. <laughs> no, no. The, the treasurer should not have to consult with the legislature on the investment strategies. That's the job of the treasurer. And if again, Yeah, it'd be like putting in their oath, but then the attorney general has to consult the legislators about what lawsuits to file or how to defend the state in different litigation. I mean, you elect someone to a statewide office to do that job. It just seems kind of odd to me. that, And I believe that our state treasurer was the one that wanted this amendment on the ballot. So we should get him on sometime and have him explain it. Um, we have a caller, Eric Schmidt, with spelt with a D. Oh, Eric Schmidt. It's not Eric Schmidt. It's Tony on line one. Welcome to the show, Tony. Good morning. So uh, I was, I, have, I don't get a lot of TV time. Um, I run a small business. I'm, I got grandkids, so I'm tied up. So last night I'm sitting there and on the local channel down here in Springfield area, the Eric Schmidt commercial comes on and he says he wants to uh, uh, ban uh, 
former representative uh, senators and congressmen from becoming lobbyists, and he wants to go for term limits. And uh, if they don't get the work done, uh, then no pay. And uh, what was the other one? The fourth one? Have you seen the commercial? You know, I don't see the political commercials just because I guess it's maybe because I the way I consume not uh, live TV sometimes. But yeah. But anyway, so so I was thinking about that and I thought, well, he's just pandering to the lowest common denominator of voter right there. And I mean, I got two crappy choices. I got Schmidt or I got Bush and neither one of them are worth it. But Schmidt is is okay. First, he would take an act of Congress. All of Congress to to uh, to uh, to put term limits into action, and they're not going to. The rest of them are not going to do it. So I mean, that's a mute subject. Um, the whole thing about uh, banning the former Congress people from becoming lobbyists—we've already crossed that bridge five, six times in the past fifteen years, and it never goes anywhere. Uh, This—if they don't get a balanced budget, no one gets paid. Okay, these are all great bumper stickers. But not a one of those things that he mentioned in there is, oh, yeah, and the, the, other, the fourth one was the uh, uh, making uh, insider trading. That's the only one he could possibly do anything about in the Senate. But the rest of that entire commercial is nonsense. It's pandering to what wishes and desires, but there's no substantial facts behind any part of that that he could actually get done in a six-year, 12-year term, any uh, amount of term. Yeah, politics is an ugly business, and I don't care for the condescending ads. They kind of irritate me, too, um, just being more informed. But they have pollsters and whatever else, I guess, and that's they get advice on what to include in there. And I will say, people are... People are very sick of kind of a professional political class. That's how, how it is that people could be in the Senate and be multi-multi-millionaires when they weren't multi-multi-millionaires going in. I think that does create some, some questions among people. You know, what is it that's, that's happening, right? So I think there's a lot of distrust of politicians. Do I think that term limits are going to pass? No, I don't think they're going to pass. But. I don't even think that they're necessarily a good idea. We've seen, you know, what happens with the Missouri legislature, and it's not, it's a very mixed bag. But we've run out of time. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been great to have you here in studio. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. And uh, next up is uh, my friend and our presiding circuit court judge, Brooke Jacobs. We're going to ask him about this expungement situation. Um, We're going to ask him about what's going on with our courts and more. So don't go away. That's next. You're listening to uh, the Gary Nolan Show. Jennifer Bukowski filling in on the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show 